Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. We are joined once again by Dr. Landon Tross. Dr. Tross is a board-certified urologist practicing in Utah. He specializes in fertility and Peyronie's disease. He is a well-published author and researcher and has been involved in the development of several urologic devices in the erection space. Dr. Tross is joining us to share his expertise in some of the topics that men worry about the most, leading to anxiety and performance issues. Dr. Tross, thank you very much for being here. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mark. Okay, so today's episode is about curvature of the penis, what is considered normal, what is concerning, and how a urologist can help with this. So to get us started, is, is there such a thing as normal penile curvature? Yeah, in fact, I would say the majority of, of people have some degree of penile curve, and, and typically there's maybe a 10-degree upward curve, and then to one side, you're looking somewhere between 0 to 10 degrees. Um, and that's normal physiologic, and usually it, it happens around the time of puberty, and it just stays that way for the rest of life. Okay, so you would say that 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 would almost be the standard that there'd be some. I think so. Yeah, I mean, if you went in and you were real critical trying to measure every degree, it's pretty unusual to find. Maybe not unusual, but it's less common to find completely straight compared to either up ten degrees or to the side ten degrees, things like that. And and it depends. Is you know, as people get older, a lot of times you, you won't visualize that up curve nearly as much because everything just kind of becomes a little bit more saggy, like ligaments and other things um, lose a little bit of their tension. So, Okay. Now, is the average penis perfectly straight, which I think you just kind of answered for me, which is no, <laughs> it certainly mm-hmm. is not perfectly straight. Um, and you're saying some deviation is to be expected, correct? Yeah, it's not uncommon, not abnormal. You'd say it's a variation of normal. And I mean, technically, you'd say Fully normal is is fully straight, but few people are um, kind of fit that definition. Okay, now a lot of times we like we talk about curvature much more in the function realm than we do in the appearance realm. Um, within that zero to ten degree curvature, whether that's up or to a side or whatnot, is it expected that a man should have normal sexual function, and should a partner not really be able to perceive that degree of curvature? That's correct. Yeah. When you're when you're that amount, it tends not to be impactful at all. What I found just over time, and again, this kind of is where it de- depends on heterosexual versus gay, side curves are, and heterosexual couples tend to be impactful about 30 degrees. So once you hit 30 and above, it tends to have issues. And I think it's because, you know, ligaments and everything in the vagina are less flexible on the sides. Up curves tend to be impactful when you start up and down, you tend to be around 50 degrees tends to be um, impactful. So, so it kind of depends on direction and, and types of positions and things like that. Okay. So again, variation, and I, I would have no doubt that it also will vary from partner to partner because just like not all penises are, are, are created the exact same way. So too with, you know, you know, vaginal canals and whatnot. So it really could, mm-hmm. could vary, but you think these are general guidelines that within the zero to 10 normal curvature range really should not expect or have much concern about that. Now you also right. mentioned that this, this generally develops in puberty. How common is it that a zero to 10 degree curvature, which is non-progressive, would develop at a later point 
or I want to be careful about this, a man may only notice it at a later point, like 18, 19, 20. How common is something like that? Tough to know because in my practice, I would say common, but that's just people who are coming to see us. Mm -hmm. I would say in the general population, it's not common. But a lot of times what will happen is they'll have something else happen, either a trauma during intercourse or something. It then draws their attention to the penis, and then they become really hyper-focused on it. And then they notice everything. And they'll say, oh, this curve was present. And, you know, in a questionnaire, they'll say, well, it's been present for eight months. In reality, I know it's been present for probably 15 years um, as far as these normal physiologic curves. It's just that they started becoming real cognizant of different aspects of the penile anatomy. And, and we see it with bumps. They'll say, you know, underneath the glands of the penis, I noticed a new bump. That's always been there. And they're just more noticeable. Or there's a band on top. And that's always been there. So, yeah. A lot of men also worry about indentations in the penis. Is that part of normal curvature as well to a certain degree? Or is that something which indicates disease? I think it depends on the extent. Real kind of minor indents can be normal. Um, just kind of the normal wear and tear of, of the organ, just like any other you know system in the body. Um, but but when it becomes more uh, distinct, where you have like an area that's like a greater than ten percent indentation, or a real abrupt one, or it causes buckling, or or things like that, then that's pathological. Okay, so getting towards the the pathology side, what what is Peyronie's disease, and definitionally, how does that work with curvature of a penis? Peyronie's a tricky because. Um, there's no clear consensus on what should be called Peyronie's disease. You can take a real broad definition, which includes really anything in the penis, penile pain, penile length loss, um, curve, indents, any of that. And you could say, well, that's Peyronie's disease. Most of us who, who kind of specialize in the area would say, no, true Peyronie's disease is probably more of like a plaque, abrupt onset, and, a, and, and deformity, whether an indent, hourglass, curve, something like that. And then these other conditions, you know, penile pain, um, you know, length loss, other things, they can they can be any number of things. But true Peronis is probably a, a genetic type condition that comes on uh, relatively rapidly in the mid to later phase of life. Okay, now, if the penis is functional, meaning man is getting erections, is there reason to be concerned about curvature? Or should a man just kind of leave it as long as things are working and only go seek help if things become problematic, i.e. can't get an erection or the erection no longer no longer able to, to penetrate or to really use that erection in a meaningful way? Should a man wait or should a man just go in for, for treatment and, or exam and treatment? Part of it depends when you caught it. Um, if you catch it fast, like meaning within the first month and, and potentially even the first three months, then absolutely you should start on traction right away. There's, there's a good study that shows men who are early in their disease onset and start on traction, they, their final extent of deformity is much less than if they didn't. But it's rare that someone will, will catch it right away. A lot of times there's a lot of just pretending it's not there type thing, or they'll see their primary care who says, well, go see a urologist. By the time they get into a urologist, it's already past that window. Then it becomes how much does it bug you? And I, I have some people who have literally 10 degree down curve and it just kills them. It bothers them so much that they seek any and every treatment to get it fixed. And then I've got people who have like 70 degree curve that doesn't bug them at all. And so because it's not like cancer where you really need to treat it, um, it comes down to how much does it bother you, whether you want to treat it or not. Okay, so there, there is some choice in that. Now, is there a way for a man who has, let's say, a slight curvature? And again, I recognize that in a urology office, you have tools to actually measure this, where I think 
you know, most men are assessing what degree of curvature they have just by <laughs> just by taking a look. If a man has a slight curvature, is there a way for him to know if he is in a Peyronie's disease process? Or is this just normal curvature and it's not going to progress or is it progressing? Not yet. And that that's where it's real tricky because, again, Peyronie's is most common in men in their kind of 50s and 60s. But we do see teenagers and those in their 20s and 30s um, that have true peronies. Now, the far, far majority don't. The far majority, it, it ends up being something, you know, different. But in that guy where it is true peronies, we do want to act on it pretty soon. So usually the, the counsel I give is if you start noticing an abrupt change. So you were one way yesterday, but today it's different. Then start on traction right away to prevent it from getting as bad as it's going to otherwise. That's really the only early phase, acute kind of emergency intervention you need to do. Beyond that, then it just comes down to, well, how bad is it? And, and is it bad enough that we want to seek treatment for it? So in particular, you're saying that the measure is really the abrupt change, much more than something which a guy notices, but you know, for days and even weeks and months, it's not really changing. It's just kind of the way it is. You're saying that would be less alarming or less of a need to come in for immediate treatment. Yeah. Because you always say, you know, am I missing missing a window to treat something? And once it's a stable disease, you whether you treat it early or late doesn't matter. And and that's true for any form of, of penile curvature. But if you're in peronies in that early phase of disease, or even trauma-induced curve in that early phase, you can potentially modify it. Just like you break your arm, you put it in a cast right away to try to prevent it from healing incorrectly. Mm-hmm. So too with the penis, you know, when you get scar tissue, it wants to contract it in. You could lose length or, or deformity or other things. So you want to prevent it from getting as bad as it would otherwise, because that's that's your window where you can potentially modify it before it really scars down. Yeah. Now, Dr. Truss, you've mentioned this this concept of tracking of traction, sorry, in a previous episode. But for the listeners who are tuning into this episode, can you just remind our listeners what exactly a traction device is? They're kind of like a, a medieval torture device. It basically grabs the head of the penis with a clamp, and then there's a base that goes against the body, and it, it just stretches it. And it just, you know, traction in the body, you think of braces for teeth, you think of for scoliosis traction there, orthopedics, a lot of times they'll use different types of traction devices. When you pull on something or bend something, you can, the body will start to mold it and change it over time. Dr. Trust, how do you help patients with, let's say, non-Peroni's disease curvature if they are upset about it or distressed, uh, but there really is no noticeable or identifiable disease? Is there anything that can be done to help these patients? I would say not from like an organic intervention standpoint in that you don't, these are the guys you don't want to go in and put Zyflex or a drug that dissolves the scar. You don't want to do surgery um, because surgery generally doesn't make that better. Um, if it's not due to a, a visualized deformity in there, you're not going to go in and, and help them. If anything, you're going to give them new symptoms and new complaints and new side effects and problems. So generally, we recommend referring to a sexual psychologist. Um, there's, uh, and, I mean, you're the perfect one to, to mention and recommend, you know, how you can find someone who specializes in the sexual medicine sphere of it. But that's really where they need to go. The problem is a lot of times you'll get maybe only 30 or 40% that would be willing to. And so it's it's almost like, you know, you're going to see a neurologist when really you need to see a foot doctor, or you're going to see a cardiologist when you're needed to see a G- GI specialist. There's only so much you can do. 
And a lot of times they'll be real upset because they want you to fix it, but it's not your area of specialization or expertise. And what you have to offer is not going to help them. Yeah. So, so, you know, 30 to 40%, I think would be very generous. <laughs> I think many men do hesitate to come speak to somebody because again, I, I recognize that number one, it's really hard to uh, talk about these things. And number two, it feels very real. It really yeah. does. It feels very real. I think that's part of like what is so distressing about it is that it appears real and it feels very real. But you're saying medically, like from an organic standpoint, there isn't so much that can be done to help really alleviate that. So to that end, is body dysmorphia something that you see? I really should say penile dysmorphia. Is that something that you see with men who are overestimating the severity of their curve? No, absolutely. I mean, um, and a lot of times, a lot of the psychological conditions manifest with sexual dysfunctions. And so that's just a, a characteristic of many different psychological conditions. So, so we commonly will run across uh, symptoms that um, that most likely would, would do better from a psychological treatment standpoint rather than, you know, surgery or injections or meds or things like that, uh, or, or directed meds, you know, to the, to the penis. So, so absolutely. I mean, it's definitely something that that's common and we would need to refer out for. Mm-hmm. I'm also, um, I've seen where, where it's also not an and, or sometimes it's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a both. Um, sometimes it's, uh, there is an organic thing going on. Um, but even when there is correction and it's measurable objectively, um, I've, I've worked with men who just can't come to terms with that. They still are uncomfortable, even at that 10% curvature. It just kind of stays in their mind that there's something wrong and they have a really hard time letting go. So I think it's important our listeners understand that curvature can be very distressing, whether it is, you know, Peyronie's disease or whether it's a natural curve. And even post-treatment, um, it doesn't always alleviate some of that initial distress. Um, have you have you seen that as well in the office? I was going to say completely agree. I mean, if I could mandate that everybody have to go see Mark, you know, for for all these things, I absolutely would. Just because, um, like you said, it's a whole spectrum. You have the people where it's learning to cope with the condition, it's learning to cope with the side effects of the treatment, it's being able to um, manage the interpersonal relationships. There's other associated factors. So, guys, for example, with particularly those with anxiety, depression. They they run at kind of a high adrenaline state, and and the penis that manifests with this kind of hard flaccid syndrome that contracts the penis, causes pain, has a lot of symptoms that mirror Peyronie's disease, and and the treatment is working on the psychological side. And it's not that it's not real, like like you mentioned, this is a real condition. It's just it's not treated at the level of the penis. It's treated at the level of the nerves, mm-hmm. and and that side really um, you can't go in and cut out parts of the brain very easily. And you know a lot of the medicines are are you know, not very specific. So it comes down to um, counseling and, and psychotherapy and other things that can really address that and help that. Yeah. Now, is fear of sexual activity with curvature something that you commonly see? Is it warranted? And if so, what are some of the risks of sexual activity when a man does have a, a curve in his penis? Um, I would say reticence is um, is definitely present. So a lot of times what will happen is the man doesn't want to initiate or engage in intercourse um, because they're they're worried. You know, they're worried how it's going to be perceived. They're worried they're going to lose the erection. They're worried it's going to the partner's not going to be satisfied. Interestingly, there was a study years ago where they 
um, quizzed men with Crohn's disease and said, how much does this bug your partner? And they said, dramatically, you know, like 90%, absolutely. It, it, it's a huge deal. They quizzed the partners, exact same question. They said, oh, I couldn't care less. And so it, it's very much a condition. And, and the guys will know that. They'll know that, you know, this is my internal perception, but it still really bugs them. And it's something that's important to them. So that, uh, you know, the reticence to engage in relationships is huge. And then you can imagine that, like if you were reticent to engage in a new relationship, whether it's sexual or non-sexual, that has a big impact on uh, kind of humanity in general and, and satisfaction, life satisfaction, other things. So, so that, that's on the that's on the the, the, the reticence or the concern about the impact on the partner, which I think oftentimes men are overestimating the role of uh, the appearance of their penis, the length, the girth, the curve, all of those things. And I think study after study do demonstrate that. Now, with the curve, though, is there are there medical risks or concerns to engaging in partnered sexual activity or even in solo sexual activity, masturbation? Are there things that, that men are at higher risk for as a result of having that curvature? And obviously, it all depends on the degree. I want to be clear, like not all not all curve is the same, but what are some of the uh, concerns or what are some of the things that men would have to be mindful of or be a little bit careful about? You know, it's a real common question that we get. And usually the way guys will pose it is, you know, can I still continue to have intercourse or do I need to stop? And the problem is, let's say you said stop. Well, that's the end of your visit, you know, and that's, that's it. And so Generally, andrologists or those who specialize in it never restrict it and say you, you have to stop anyway. We just usually say you want to make sure that the erection is as rigid as possible, that you're using lubrication, that you're being real careful with it. And then, like you said, it depends. If someone has a curve near the base with hourglass deformity and real severe curve, they're going to have a huge problem with buckling. And the rigidity of the penis beyond that area is going to be very minimal. And so that's going to be a high risk person. And then you put that with high risk behaviors where partners on top, for example, where it's going to put more strain and, and require more force, um, th that's going to be a chance where you could potentially injure it more and, and worsen the problem. So so it's definitely something you factor into, but we never outright restrict people and say, nope, sorry, you can't. Because you're saying maybe, maybe some some counseling about what, act, what uh, types of engagement are less prone to potential injury or buckling or whatnot, depending on the specifics of their curvature. Yep, exactly. And they'll know. I mean, there's that that sense of anxiety when you know something's about to be bad. Um, and so they're they're aware of that. Yeah. Unfortunately, like some men, though, push it a little bit too far and do end up with uh, what's you know called a penile fracture it does happen. Some of that may be because of curvature. Oftentimes it isn't, though. Um, but all that being said, if you could just um, give our listeners just a quick overview of some of the approaches to. Um, the penile str uh, straightening side of uh, Peroni's disease, like how is that executed? What are the what are the options or progression of treatment for men who have Peroni's? The the big answer is there's hundreds um, of therapies out there. the The real kind of short answer is there's probably three. And so um, Peroni's disease is tricky because it changes naturally. So I just had a, a patient today who said, "Hey, I read about this thing that that resulted in complete curve resolution in in two patients." Well, absolutely. Uh, Peronis just does that naturally, you know, sometimes with it. And so when you look at truly effective therapies, you've got the very most conservative, which is going to be things like traction, but they're modest, like they increase length, but they're modest improvements in curve. And then you've got therapies like injectables, such as collagenase, uh, clostridium histolyticum, or Zyaflex. 
Um, that usually achieves a, an average improvement of about 60% if you use you know, the most rigorous protocols and you combine it with other therapies. And then you've got surgery, um, which is basically where you put stitches in or you cut the plaque and, and you straighten things or put an implant in. That will get you the most straight, but it tends to have the most side effects. Uh, we just finished a randomized controlled trial where we compared all three of those therapies, essentially a kind of combination of traction and Zyflex and traction and surgery. And we found that the traction Zyflex overall were the happiest between that and surgery and, and surgery tended to have the most side effects. So those are kind of your, your gold standard therapies as of 2022. Okay. So you see there's three major approaches. Each one has their advantages and disadvantages, but certainly a man who is experiencing curvature, experiencing Peyronie's disease should not I think that it all is lost and this is just a, you know, a, a disease that is going to progress or permanently um, prevent partner sexual activity. There are treatments out there that men can seek, obviously with the guidance of and care under a urologist, um, but they really could address that curvature um, and get back toward um, you know, sexual activity potentially. Yeah. And usually... With most therapies, you'll get real close to normal as far as close to back to where you were, but it's it's not common where you'll get 100% back to where you were. And that's a, a real key, important expectation kind of going into any therapy. Um, but with time, the nice thing about scars, with time, they soften up. So when you we did a survey years ago um, of men who were up to 20 years out from their condition, and the, the life satisfaction was worst at like one to two years out. Like they just were miserable with life. And um, as far as is it related to pronies, but 10 years out, you know, five years, 15 years, they were much, much better overall. And they generally said it, it continues to improve and kind of better. So I don't know if it's an adaptation or if it's the condition itself that's changing, but we do see general satisfaction continuing to improve over time. Yeah. And, and, and you know, adaptation may play a role in that, but this research obviously will have to, to prove that out. Um, but I mean, I think it's so important what you're saying about expectations, because when you talk about, well, it won't be back to a hundred percent. I think it's also important that, that, that men understand that they probably didn't need it to be at a hundred percent in the first place. So, you know, getting at least, you know, like you said, 60%, 70% and being able to, you know, achieve an erection, gain and maintain an erection, uh, be able to have a satisfactory experience with a partner. That's very, very important and meaningful, even if it's not immediately at 100 percent to where they where they remember being or where they used to be. So I think it's really just important uh, for our listeners to hear that. Dr. Truss, thank you very much for joining us again for this episode. Um, do you have any final thoughts that you want to share with our listeners about curvature and general concerns that men have about this? You know, your, your last point actually made me think of, of something, and it actually thought uh, maybe a, a study we should be doing on this, which is. I have a feeling that those who are new in the disease course, so one year in, something like that, and you treat them and you get them, say you get them 60% improved. I have a feeling those guys are pretty unhappy, whereas someone who's like five years into their disease course and you get them 60% improved, they're thrilled. Mm -hmm. And I think in part of it is because, you know, group one here was comparing against what they were pre-disease, whereas group two is like, hey, look how much improvement I got compared to where I, this new accepted standard or new accepted norm is. So. So a lot of it is a, a changing metric as far as satisfaction and and how you measure it and when and yeah I think that 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 starting point of expectations if you feel like this is your new baseline and you see sixty percent improvement it's it's tremendously impactful in a powerful way but if you're still holding on to that one hundred percent baseline and now you've gone to sixty percent toward a hundred percent 
It can feel extremely dissatisfying and disappointing, even though the results objectively are the same. It's just a really important takeaway message. Again, Dr. Trust, thank you so much for joining us. And I think our listeners are going to benefit from this episode. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.